Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to worship together, and I appreciate Keith leading that song. He asked me if I had any requests tied to the sermon, and I told him that one. I thought, well, I hit him with a doozy, but he did great with it. So, And so did all of you. That's an encouraging song to sing together, and I'm grateful for God's blessing of singing, giving us that ability and that gift of, uh, of getting to do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, that's, that's a great thing and, uh, and certainly a blessing to us uh, as we get to, to praise our great God. Uh, so good all around. Now, this morning, I, I was kind of pondering over, over what to preach, and I, don't, I try not to always just give you my whole psyche and thought process behind a lesson, you know, that can get worn out, but uh, I thought it was, it was kind of appropriate for this morning's lesson because it was a change from what I had, I had initially planned to talk about. I was kind of thinking, we, we've been in the New, New Testament quite a bit lately, uh, and even in our Bible classes, we've, uh, we've been studying just the New Testament on both Sundays and Wednesdays, and that's the first time that's happened since I've been here. Uh, every other quarter, we've had a, an Old Testament study and then a New Testament study as, as well. Uh, so uh, all that being said, I was kind of thinking maybe it's time to take a look back at the Old Testament. Not a bad thing that we're studying the New Testament a lot, obviously, because we're under the, uh, the New Covenant, and, uh, and that is... Uh, that is uh, very pertinent to us as Christians today. But, but the Old Testament shows us a lot about God, and it shows us a lot about the history of his people. And if we read it with eyes that are open to uh, truths about Jesus, there are a lot of truths about Jesus that we learn from reading the Old Testament. Uh, and so that kind of led me to think, eh, maybe we should have another Old Testament lesson. So I've at least got you in the right half of the Bible already, if you're flipping there this morning. Uh, but the Psalms specifically is where I want to go this morning. I'm going to narrow it down a little more before I tell you the specific Psalm. But, but the Psalms have been, for me at least, a highlight of our daily Bible reading. Uh, the Psalms are not somewhere I always go when I am looking for something to read in my personal devotional life. But, but I think uh, that's, that's a shame because there is so much in the Psalms uh, for us to learn uh, about God and even about Jesus and, and about, uh, about his people and, and about our relationship with him as well. And so those have been, been a highlight for me because our, our daily Bible reading plan this year that a lot of us have been doing, and several of you have, have let me know that you're doing, and that's encouraging. Let me just say that uh, to start off. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And I'm sure there are many others who are doing it that, that are not, uh, have not even mentioned it. And so uh, either way, that's encouraging to know that many of you are, are trying to spend time in God's Word, and that's a great thing. But specifically, the plan that I picked, one of the things that I... I really like about it is that the Psalms are a key part of each day's reading, uh, at least for, for this first chunk of the year. And, and that's, been, that's been helpful for me. And while we haven't gotten to the Psalm that I want to talk about this morning yet, um, I've been thinking about the Psalms and generally their helpfulness to us. And then I heard a hymn that is basically this Psalm that I want to talk about set in meter and set to music. And we don't know that song at all. It would be completely new to us. So that's why I didn't say we should sing that. <laughs> uh, it might take a little time for us to learn that. But it was really gorgeous. Uh, and not only was it gorgeous, though, um, hearing that psalm in meter, set to music, was really very convicting uh, for me uh, as, as I heard it. So hopefully I've built this up enough. I had some good hype here. Uh, the psalm I want to talk about this morning is Psalm 139. Psalm 139. That psalm is a psalm of David. Uh, and just, just a few more details about it. As you flip there and you see what's in it, you might realize 
That's actually a very popular and often quoted psalm. There's a lot of things in there that we quote a lot of times, or maybe even phrases that we say that are like, ah, that sounds biblical, and work that in. I think it's in the Bible. It sounds biblical. I don't know. But, uh, so some of those kind of phrases are in Psalm 139, as it, as it turns out. Uh, one of those being like that, uh, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, we, we talk about that a lot, especially uh, with the amazingness of childbirth and of everything that's involved with that. Uh, but that's in this psalm as well. Uh, but so anyway, we, we, we go to the psalm a lot for, for phrases that, that we think about, which is good. But it's an interesting psalm, uh, genre-wise. It is a mixture, kind of, I was talking to my mom last night, and she was asking me what I was preaching on, and I said, well, Psalm 139. But it's kind of weird, it's kind of like the sampler platter of, of, of psalm categories. <laughs> she was like, What? <laughs> But no, it really is, because this psalm is kind of a mixture of a praise psalm, uh, of a lament psalm, and even of an imprecatory psalm. That last category is not a category of psalms we spend a lot of time on, usually. Imprecatory psalms are those where the psalmist is calling God's judgment down on other people, where he's saying, God, I want you to punish these people. It's not really the happy kind of psalms you stitch on a pillow, usually, so we don't tend to spend as much time uh, in those, but but this psalm has that element in it, uh, which makes it really interesting because it is so so quoted and so popular in a lot of ways. But yet there's that element as well. Uh, so it's an interesting psalm, but but I think it has a lot for us to learn uh, within it. And so my goal this morning is not to academically analyze that psalm. Uh, it's not to try to make a declaration of I have studied this and I have figured out what the genre is. Uh, no, <laughs> not at all, actually. Uh, I am not qualified in the least to do that. But my goal for us this morning is that while I understand that the truths that are expressed about God in this psalm may not be uh, necessarily the point of the psalm, uh, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to say what the point of the psalm is either, but while those may not be the, the point, the truths that the psalmist, which is David, acknowledges about God are, I think, foundational things for us as believers in our God. And this is just a prime example of things the Old Testament can teach us about the God that we serve. So so my goal this morning is not to analyze this psalm academically, but rather to consider these truths about God that are contained within it. And I'll be honest, I think the truths that are here fall into the category of truths we know and have heard, but don't always grasp the weight of them. Truths that we've, we know intellectually, like, like we could quote them or we, we've heard them, but, but we don't always actually understand them. You know how this morning in class we were talking about hearing is different than just the sound waves bouncing into your ears. I think these truths can be some of those kind of things for us, things that we, we theoretically know, but we don't deeply know. Uh, and, and so I, I hope that this morning we can approach this psalm with an open heart, uh, to potentially grasp even more deeply these truths about God that are here. The final thing I want to say by way of introduction is that with relation to our theme this year, which is drawing nearer, I did say last week not every lesson is going to be a drawing nearer lesson. Well, so far I have failed at making that uh, promise come true because this is very much going to be a drawing nearer to God lesson. However, in my defense, I was talking to Mike last week, and he said, not every lesson's going to be a lesson about drawing near to God. And it's like, shouldn't every lesson be about drawing near to God? And I said, well, I guess you're right. I can't argue with that. In fact, that is kind of the point of the Bible, to draw us nearer to God, right? And for us to learn about him and what he wants of us. So 
in my defense, every lesson should be a drawing near to God lesson. So this lesson being that this morning, I, I think, is natural. Uh, but uh, as we consider the truths about God in this psalm, I, I, I would encourage you to even think specifically about how do we draw nearer to God? How do we come to know God better through these truths? Uh, and, and I think that will bless us and help us rem- remember uh, the lessons that are in here even more as we think about our theme for the year as well. So with all that in mind, hopefully that's not too much set up to wear you out already, but let's consider Psalm 139 together. I just want to start by reading, reading the psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There's a lot about God in this psalm. A lot that we can learn about his attributes, his character. But the first divine attribute of God that the psalm addresses that I want to point out to you this morning is the idea that God knows. God knows. Often, I think we think about God's divine attributes in terms of their width. And what I mean by that is that they apply across all creation. They apply across the universe God's knowledge, God's incredible infinite knowledge applies everywhere. And that's true. That's good for us to think about, considering we're saying that the things in this psalm that David was talking about many years ago in a faraway land apply to us, which is true. And so that's important for us to think about. But I think this psalm reminds us of another dimension of God's attributes, and that is not even so much their width, but their depth reminds us of the depth of God's divine attributes. What I mean by that is, yes, God knows all things on a wide scale, but because God knows all things, God also knows me. God can probe me. The psalmist says God searched him. 
God has searched him and known him. Not just God knows some things about him, but God has searched. When I hear that word, I think of like a scan we might get if there's something wrong with our body. They want to search us and find what's wrong with us. They don't just want to say, well, uh, you kind of look like you got a, got a temperature. Maybe that's it. If you have a serious issue, they're going to do an MRI or a CAT scan. I'm not a medical person, but one of those kind of things where they put your entire body through a machine and see down as deep as they can go to find out what's wrong with you. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying God has done with him. And that's what God does with each of us as well. Searches us and knows us. He finds out everything. But not only that, he continues in verse 2. God actively knows my body's movements, the psalmist would say. God knows when I rise up and when I sit down. And not only that, he's not limited by space in these abilities. He knows my thoughts from afar. God doesn't, he's not limited by, by needing to be close to us in the sense that we feel like we move around. God is not limited that way. God knows my ways, he says, my daily routine, what my habits are. I mean, I, I have a daily routine. Probably some of you do too. I come here to work. I walk in the door and confession, I turn up the thermostat a little bit because it's really cold in here. And then I walk over here to my office and turn my heater on and get my water bottle all set up and maybe use the bathroom. And I know my daily routine pretty well, but guess what? God knows it better. There's, there's a line in that song uh, that I was talking about where Psalm 139 was set to music that says, I know myself and yet you know me more. That's powerful. I think I know myself pretty well. God knows me better. It's incredible. God also knows my thoughts. God knows the words I'm thinking of saying before I even say them. That's what the psalmist says in verse 4. And when we think about all this, it's humbling that God, know, God is with me. God is everywhere. God knows me. God searches me. It's awe-inspiring that God has that power. But honestly, the biggest thing I kind of walk away with with from this is that it's a little fearful. I think that's natural. It's, it's a little scary to think about that God has that kind of power and he has it over me and in me. And it's cause for great self-reflection, I think. And so a lot of times, if we're struggling with sin, these are the kind of principles that can really help us. If we consider God, God knows what you're doing and he, he's well aware of it. Uh, and, and that can trigger some good self-reflection for us when we struggle. Uh, but more on that in a minute. The second thing that I think the psalmist points out is not only that God knows, but God is there. God is there. And that's in, the, in that second section of verses, verses 7 through 12. Uh, he talks about that. W- where am I going to go to get away from you? You are everywhere. I had a realization recently, and when I say that, I know probably most of you who are older than me, you're going to be like, oh, you had a realization. <laughs> That's the danger of having a 25-year-old preacher, all these things you all have known for like 50 years. I'm just now like, what? <laughs> so I had one of those recently, so bear with me on this. But, but it has to do with prayer. I was listening to another hymn, surprise, uh, that is called I Believe in Prayer. Uh, that was written by Craig Roberts fairly recently. And the chorus of that song uh, says, God is there. God is there. Hour by hour, everywhere, I believe, oh, I believe in prayer. And as I started to think about that song, it started to change the way I thought about my prayer. 
I think too often I think about prayer in terms of I need to make sure the words make sense and make sure the words are good and, and then I'm crafting this nice flow of sentences and that, that makes sense, especially when I'm praying out loud, whether with other people or not. But that song made me realize, well, that God is there. I'm talking to a, a very conscious God who is listening to my words. Not only who is listening to my words, but as the psalmist says, who knows what I'm about to say before I even say it. God is there. And that changed things for me. And like I said, maybe, probably most of you are like, yeah, I've, I've realized that for a long time. But, but I think there, there's a, a deeper level in which I needed to realize that. And maybe that can help some of you. But the idea that God is there is a truth that Psalm 139 expresses. And I think it beautifully expresses it. But it's also a truth that has two important dimensions to it. First of all, God is there. As in, God exists. God is out there. If something is there, we mean it's real. It exists. And hopefully, as we're going through all these, you can see all the tie-ins to our God, he is alive. Um, that song was just perfect. I was trying to think, man, what, if it's not the actual psalm itself, what are we going to sing? And, and I hope that song is ringing in my ears as we go through this. But God is there, as in God exists. God's out there. But secondly, God is there, as in God is everywhere. He is near. God is near to us. Wherever we are, God is there. That's what the psalmist says when he says, where shall I go from your spirit? If I, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. God is there. If I descend to Sheol, as deep as the human imagination can go in terms of depth, God's there too. But despite this truth, I think a lot of times we think we can hide from God. Mankind in general, we, we think we can. And that's been going on since, of course, as you know, the very beginning just about. As soon as sin was committed, mankind starts trying to hide from God. Adam and Eve try to hide from God within the garden where he dwells and walks with them. It doesn't make any sense, but yet they try, and so do we. Uh, But if we feel that we can do anything outside God's presence so that he will not know it, we're just in denial. The psalmist points that out. You can't go anywhere to flee from God's presence. Uh, if we deny that, then we are denying this truth that God is there. We're denying that he exists and that he is near. And both of those things are just true. Uh, When we commit some sin or do something unbecoming to the name of God, as much as we would like to hide and don't want to be exposed in that moment, the truth is that concealing ourselves is just not a legitimate option. God is everywhere. We can't get away from him. So our options are either to remain in rebellion to God or to confess our failure, and knowing he is there, and knowing that he knows us, to throw ourselves before him and seek restoration that he can provide. But as a whole, truly believing God is there, I think it changes us. I think it changes us in a lot of ways. It changes us at a fundamental level. It changes the way we speak to and treat God himself. If we actually process that he is there, that he exists, and he is near. But it also changes the way we speak to others and the way we treat other people. If God is here watching me and how I, how I treat you, and, and he's observing that, and he's near, it changes things. It changes the way we use our tongues and our bodies and our minds, even in private. Even when we think we are alone, when we would say physically, yes, we're alone in, in a closet or something, but God's there. That changes things. Ultimately, what both the fact that God knows and the fact that God is there 
should probably lead us to most of all is humility. Great humility. I mean, how could we stand to, in some circumstance, boldly state our opinion as the truth when God is there and he knows everything we say? He's going to hear us selfishly say what we think. How can we stand to do something selfish when God is so very real and so very near? If he's there, if God is there and God knows, that changes things. And as I think about that, it leads me to want to exclaim something similar to Isaiah in Isaiah 6, when he says, I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In other words, I am a sinful man in the midst of a bunch of other sinners. That is our reality. But the psalm continues. Verses 13 through 16, I think, point out to us another key truth about God, which is that God is eternal. God is eternal. He talks about how we were formed in our mother's wombs. Well, guess what? God was not formed in his mother's womb. He doesn't have a mother. God is the creator, not the creation. We have this beginning in time that the psalmist talks about. God did not have a beginning in time. And so considering God's eternality, as we realize that he made us, is cause for what David does. He praises God for the fearful and wonderful creation of our lives. And before we were, God was, and was indeed himself our maker. But even then, he knew exactly what our future would be. And so there's no conceivable way in which God is limited by time, just as he is not limited by space. He is everywhere. He's not limited by a lack of knowledge. He knows all. He's also not limited by time. He is past, present, and future. And so when we put these three things together, what we come to realize is that the God who knows everything about us and can and does search us uh, through this instant is also not limited by time or space. And so you can start to understand why the Old Testament writers and even the New Testament writers all over Scripture spoke a lot about the fear of God. It's all over the Bible. But you can kind of start to understand why. When we start to actually internalize God is real and this is what he is like, there's a lot to fear. If we're actually thinking about it, this kind of a God who knows us, who is there with us, and is not going to end, he's not going anywhere, that is cause for fear, especially for all of us who have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And so, honestly, it makes sense why our world kind of tends to push back against the idea of God. They, they don't really like the idea of God, and it makes sense. Because God's not the, the family member who just wants that occasional long-distance call to catch up and give you the basic details about your life and then move on, maybe send a Christmas card or something. God is always there, always. He knows everything about us. He's everywhere, and he always knows. And that's fearful. That has all kinds of implications for how we live in and I think our world just can't handle that because of how they're living. That's a scary thing. But as much as it's, it's true and it's easy to point fingers around us at the world and say, you can't handle the truth about God, the real truth is that sometimes we keep our distance from these indescribable, incredible attributes of God. That one hits a little closer to home. The temptation is very real, even for us as Christians, to try to water down God in our minds, to, to try to make him more comfortable, 
something we can wrap our minds around, something that, that fits into our way of living, the way that we want to live our lives. But that's not our God. He, he's not someone who fits comfortably within our lives the way we want them. He's not somebody we can just push away when we don't want him around. As we've seen, he always is, he always has been and will be everywhere, and he always has done, he always does, and he always will uh, know everything about not only the universe as a whole, but about me and what I'm doing with my life every day. And that sounds scary to consider all these things together about God, but here's the truth. God's knowledge, presence, and his eternal nature are a terror to the wicked but a blessing to the righteous. These things are, are a legitimate cause for fear if you're a wicked person. But for the righteous, they're a blessing. David doesn't bring these up and then say, and I just don't know what I'm going to do and cower in fear. That would be natural, I think. But he doesn't do that. He brings these up and then he says, and since this is who you are, God, I want you to bring judgment on these people. That's pretty bold. What's going on, David? I don't know about that. But I think what David is showing us is that there's a way to actually be able to take comfort in all of this. There's a way to take comfort in these indescribable, fearful attributes of God. And that way to take comfort in it is to be among the righteous. To be among the righteous. If we are godly, if we are righteous, if we hate what God hates, which David says that he does in verses 21 through 22... And if we love what God loves, his word, as David talks about as well there in verse 17, then we won't have to tremble in horror at God's greatness and God's nearness. But we can take confidence that it means for us, the righteous, our protection. It means the defeat of our enemies. These are great blessings. And David is clearly grateful for these as he happily praises God for the fact that he knows all things, searches him personally, and is everywhere and cannot be escaped, and made his very existence by his own creative power. And so he rightly calls God's judgment on the ungodly, those who have malicious intent, who take his name in vain, and whom are grievous ways. But here's the sticking point where I want to try to drive this home this morning. The question for all of us is, which camp are we in? All these things are a blessing to the righteous, but they're a terror to the wicked. Which category do we fall into? We'd all like to think we're among the righteous, and we ought to want to be among the righteous. But the reality is all of us have stumbled in our past. And not that that immediately brings us out of God's favor. If we are in Christ, we can have confidence in that. But yet, sin leads down a road that takes us away from God and into this other camp. And so we come to verses 23 through 24, where David says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a difficult prayer to pray, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. Inviting God to open me up and see everything I've done, saying, look at my heart, see if there's anything wrong with it. I don't think there is. Wow. That scares me to invite God in to do that. But the real truth of the matter is that whether we pray it or not, God is going to search us. God can and does search us. We can't hide from his knowledge, nor can we hide from his presence, 
nor will time run out on God to where we don't have to deal with his knowledge anymore. God knows. God is there. God is eternal. The question, however, for us is, will God search us because we open ourselves up fully to him and are willing and ready for him to search us and help us be more godly? Or will he search us in spite of our futile efforts to push him away, to hide from him, to do things our own way, to do things in a grievous way, as David describes? So my hope for all of us this morning, as we take stock of our lives in view of this psalm and the truths we learn about God, is that we consider our own hearts and our lives, realizing that God is doing the same, that he's taking stock of our, our hearts and lives. And that we all need to ensure we're among the righteous. However, if God's word through which he answers our prayers does reveal anything evil in us, the solution isn't to try to convince God to ignore it or to try to say, God, could you put all these things on hold for a minute just to ignore that thing that I did? That doesn't work. God is always all-knowing. God is always there. God, God is eternal. The only true solution for sin for all time, even for David's sin that we know he committed, is Jesus Christ. It's the only way to be among the righteous. Otherwise, these things are a terror to us. And we can be amazed at them, but also fearful. But in Christ, we can be among the righteous by God's grace. And we can be comforted by the fact that God knows God is there and God is eternal. And so if you find yourself in need of the mercy and grace and renewal that can be found in him and the peace and unity with God that comes only through Jesus as the one and only way to the Father, take advantage of what Jesus offers you this morning. Whether you're a Christian already and you just need to think about that, take stock of your life, which we all do, or whether you're not, take advantage of what Jesus offers you. He is the only way. He is our only hope. But with him, our unfathomably great God is on our side. That's a comfort. That's a great thing. And so as we go into this week, we can carry that with us. As we go into the rest of our lives, we can carry that with us. That this is our God. He, he is much to fear and tremble before, but for the righteous, he is also a comforter and our shield and our deliverer. And he will judge the evil if we make his enemies our enemies. That We can have confidence that that day will come. And eventually... We can ask, what can man do to me if God is with me? If you have a spiritual need this morning that you need help with, we would love to help you with it. That's, that's what we're here for as the body of Christ. And, and so if you have that, let us know. We'd love to, to help you as we stand and as we sing.